0: This podcast is a proud member of the Fan Hub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with Fan Hub to put fans first. Search Fan Hub app to play your part in the journey.
2: Hello there, I'm Mark Dennison from BBC Radio Nottingham and Nottingham Forest, and you are listening to the rather wonderful 1865 Forest Ramble.
3: Hello and welcome to the 1865 Forest Ramble, the home of the original and we think the best Nottingham Forest fans podcast. Uh, We like to think of ourselves as the home of intelligent NFFC debate and I am joined today by Baz, how are you doing? Morning, I'm good thank you. Okay, Uh, Stephen Topliss, you've been doing a few match reports for us in the last month or so, how are things today?
2: All good thank you.
3: Yep, all good.
2: Sunny day outside, so feeling good.
3: Yep, the long, dark winter is hopefully coming to an end. And uh, you just heard a little uh, a little snippet of a, of a cough there. Um, our resident COVID sufferer, Tom Newton. Um, Tom, firstly, I hope you're feeling a little bit better than you were a couple of weeks ago. I know you've really suffered.
1: Yeah, yeah I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So, all uh, oh, well, it's uh, positivity uh, moving forward now and get rid of this horrible... Uh, Covid what I've had so and I don't wish it on anybody because it's been like a a bad few
3: couple of weeks so but uh, yeah onwards and upwards from now. Yeah glad to see you back on your feet. Um, Now we're going to start with uh, a quick mention about the match against Derby County. Uh, You can listen to our match report. Uh, Myself and the Maradon the Midlands had a lovely chat with Corey and Jason from the Rams Review podcast on Friday night straight after the match. Obviously goes without saying, it was one all. Um, before we talk about the match, we do need to talk about something else, which unfortunately has reared its ugly head. Um, now, Tom, there were reports yesterday, uh, is reports by The Athletic and a few other media outlets, that Colin Kazim Richards, after the match, received some, uh, what I can only describe as racist abuse uh, via social media. Um, where do we start with this, Tom?
1: Yes, I'll just. Well, first and foremost, I, th- I think it's just disgusting because it's another human being at the end of the day, and the total disrespect, um, ignorance towards. I mean, it's not just a derby player. This is another human being in society, and I just think it's. I, I just think the your authorities need to. Well, I put on Twitter yesterday that the, I think every account should need to be verified because it's just getting. When do we say enough's enough? And I think we've gone past that point now, and it's just—it's just disgusting. And and I, I just feel that any Forest fan who's been racist in the past or or anything, I just think they don't have a place to have a football club because it's just disgusting. And it's been disgusting over the years, but no, it's just—it's just horrible for that um, individual such as uh, Kazim Richards and some Forest f- players where. Um, subjected to racial abuse if you look at uh, social media and I just think it's disgusting and there's no place for it in football and especially no place for it in society
3: mm, um, as there's lots and lots of debate about the Black Lives Matter um, thing about whether it players should be taking the knee or whether they should be wearing Black Lives Matter slogans on their shirts. And in fact, our very own Lyle Taylor has been quite vocal on this as a young mixed race man. Um, he's been saying that he doesn't believe that that taking the knee is the right thing to do. Um, um, again, once again, there's so many issues at play here and so many opposing views. But the bottom line is there is still a problem. Yeah.
4: Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, the the whole taking the knee and stuff like that there was, i think the situation is probably a little bit different to where it was 6 months ago or whatever it's it's just a symbol now that people are doing for the sake of doing which i can understand so i can understand what lyle taylor is saying on that front but ultimately this is a problem in wider society that just happens to be reflected in what's going on and but if we don't stand for it and stop it happening in our game then there's no chance of it stopping elsewhere. It's, it, it kind of works both ways. You have to get rid of it in society as a whole because that's why it's happening. But you have to also say, right, we're not standing for it. And the place we have an influence is here in football. So let's not stand for it in football.
3: And just, I mean, I will I will talk about that in a bit more detail in a second. But um, just to put you on the spot on that one, Baz... Taking the knee, do you think it's something that actually symbolically is important for the players to keep doing right now?
4: Um, I don't know, to be honest. I think it's one of those things like um, it's become such a symbol. It's it doesn't in some ways it's almost like meaningless now. It's just you you do it before a game, and it's like um, and and so I'm not really that bothered about it. I think the fact that they What's more important is to be doing something in general and I'm sure that Lyle Taylor is doing stuff to to change people's attitudes whereas just taking a knee on the pitch isn't going to change anyone's attitudes anymore.
3: It might have done six months ago but it isn't today. Mm. What I fear is happening with taking the knee is it just taking the knee as a blanket gesture every match becomes meaningless because it's just something that happens every match so on the whole, you know there is a good intention there, but the longer it goes on, there's an argument that it's having less impact. Um, Stephen, um, there's a, there is a
2: professional side to social media which is great and which is um, obviously a, 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 gr- a fantastic way of sharing information. But then there is this side of social media, this this ugly side, which unfortunately is it just seems to be part of the course with social media and it's very you know it's almost very difficult to get rid of it and it's it's easy for any anybody to come online set up an account without verification they can make themselves anonymous and they can fire off vile tweets insults racial abuse homophobic abuse whatever it is it's they can just fire it off without any repercussions and those words are out there, and they're, they're being read and shared by thousands of people. So, you know, it's to come back to the point that Tom made. I think the best way of stamping this out is having your accounts verified on social media, having them linked to you personally with facial recognition, and you just come down hard. If 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 you're a football fan who has taken part in racial abuse, you're season tickets ripped up by your football club, or you're simply add, added to a banned list and you're not allowed back in football grounds. And from a wider point of view, you're banned from social media as well and you're not allowed to, to set up any social social media accounts in the future. I, I just think that's the only way that we're going to make a real real, uh, real progress with this and uh, and really
3: try and stamp it out.
4: Oh, so you wanted to come um, back in there? Um, I just wanted to add, so I, I, this is a bit of a diversion from football, but um, as someone who works in tech, I think one of the real problems with social media is that it's funded by advertising. And in order to get advertising views, therefore it needs to reward controversial opinions. And that's the way that the, uh, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. And the difference with LinkedIn, although it's obviously it's a work network, is also it's funded by subscribers. So you don't get these contra- controversies just blowing up out of nowhere because their system is not de- is designed to encourage people to want to subscribe. Whereas Twitter and Facebook in particular, because they're funded by advertisers, they want the controversies to rise to the top so that people then get outraged and start commenting about it. And that ultimately is a, re- it's a fundamental problem with the way those social media networks are structured. So they, they want the controversy. They want people to say outrageous things and they
3: encourage it because that's where they get their money from. We've talked about this for, in, a, in a way in which we're suggesting solutions. But obviously, we're kind of powerless here for all the reasons that all of you have, have discussed. I mean, there are powerful counter arguments, for example, uh, the uh, argument that the Arab Spring wouldn't have happened if people hadn't had uh, the opportunity to go on social media. Uh, without having to register with ID details, because that would have put them in danger if they'd had to do that. So there's arguments both ways. But the problem is, is the one that I think Stephen mentioned, which is that at the moment, people can go on and they can post things without any fear of consequence. And I think it's worth sharing very briefly a story from um, I mentioned at the start, we were the original and the best um, forest podcast and when i say the original some of you will remember uh, the 1865 podcast uh, which was uh, our, our our precursor i suppose and there was an occasion whereby we were party to some abuse and it did end up going to to, to police and, and nottinghamshire police were trying to be really really helpful with this but twitter just wouldn't give them the data twitter just refused to do it because it's not in their interests. why would they spend time De- giving de- details to law enforcement when there's no possible positive consequence for them for the amount of effort it would, c- it would take on their part. Um, and I think that is a problem. Twitter and Facebook, they are funded by advertisers. They do uh, work on a model whereby they want people to be spouting uh, things that are not thought through, that are in the spur of the moment, that are reactionary, and then that generates all this controversy, and that means that the advertisers are happy and so on and so forth. So, it's not something that we as individuals can change in terms of the system, but it's something whereby individuals have to be responsible for their own words and actions. I think.
4: Glad um, think- Twitter are adding um, subscriptions on, so maybe
3: they're changing their model. Mm. Well, we'll see where we go with that. Um, Let's talk briefly about the match, and Tom, just coming back to you, I mean, it wasn't Barcelona, it was Derby.
1: (laughs) I I said on Twitter, I think, looking at the game, if you was a neutral, you'd turn it off because I thought it was quite an awful game, to be honest. I think there was a, especially in the first half, I think it was a matter of, we got the ball, gave it back to Derby, Derby got the ball, gave it back to us, and... Up until the um, the goal, I think there wasn't much in the game, to be honest. I mean, they had more of the ball, but they didn't actually do anything with it. Um, but uh, no, I didn't put the neutral. I didn't think it was a great game. But these
3: are, they say. Mm. Stephen, I mean, Chris Houghton as always, very measured in his post-match interview. And he did just say, you know what? Sometimes you concede goals like that. It happens. So the onus is on us to have put the game to bed before that, uh, which is a, th- a running theme that we will come back to a little bit later on in this discussion. Um, just on that, um, where do you think the goals should have come from on Friday night? Um, for
2: Forrest, I think, that I was looking and watching throughout the game the quality of knockouts and some of the balls that he was putting into the box and nobody seemed... To want to gamble and, and get on the end of those. And this has been a recurring theme for us, I think, throughout the season. And certainly in the last couple of weeks, as Knockart's form has really started to pick up, he's he's more of a threat and the quality of his delivery, not only from open play, but also corner step pieces, it's great. And we I think we need to make the most of that and, and we haven't been doing for for a while. Um I think the closest player we've got to to doing that is Glenn Murray. Um, And their link up that works so well at Brighton. And I'm just hoping that there's more to come from from that partnership, that link up as the season progresses. Um, But I think we still need to see more from players getting into the box, gambling and trying to get on the end of, of quality deliveries.
3: Baz, you and I have been talking about football uh, for many, many, many years uh, on the podcast and off it and uh, you love a defensive midfielder and although it was uh, Garner and Kravinovic in the second half and of course Anthony Knockhart was having a, having a right old time in the second half but I would like to mention one word to you, Cafu.
4: He's getting better, isn't he? I think the fact that he's got well, at the moment, having Garner alongside him, I think has taken has really worked in his favour because the two of them seem to complement each other very, very well. Um, I don't really, I don't class him as an out-and-out defensive midfield, but then Garner isn't either. But then they they have that they can swap roles and then drop in when the other one's doing something else, which I think is working really well for them. And I think actually, we and Kravinovich that, that central midfield three work really, really well together. They already seem to have a bit of an understanding of that they're prepared to hold on the ball, which that's a big, big change for us in the last two or three years, is being prepared to keep the ball and keep possession. There was a bit in the second half uh, where Knockart was involved as well, where... Derby were pressing us very, very closely and giving us no time on the ball, but we still kept it, whereas maybe six months ago, we would have just played it up the channels and hoped someone could run onto it. And I think that's a really big difference to our team
3: now and even before the transfer window. Uh, Stephen, you're, you're nodding your head there. I mean, uh, so Cafu and Ghana, they're not kind of number four combative Patrick Vieira types uh, or even Roy Keane types. But uh, what it does do, as Baz says, it gives us the opportunity of of retaining possession. And uh, for all their qualities and the great partnership they were developing, uh, Samba So and Ryan Yates, uh, possession is not their game, is it?
2: It's not. No, they're, they're more a destructive kind of midfielder. And there's always a place for that in the squad. And I think having Yates and So, they've still got plenty to offer. But... I think for the way that especially after the way the season started and the way that we were conceding goals in games and the way we were losing games we we were giving so much up to the opposition and allowing them to come on to us a bit too much and and we just could, we just couldn't hold out really it, it was just too much at times and I think this kind of this evolution this I, I heard I think it might have been uh, Steve Sutton at the weekend in pre-match to the game, called it a, a quiet revolution that's going on under Chris Houston. And I think that's an example of that, the way that the midfield has evolved and and what he's looking for from the likes of Garner and Kravinovic and Cafu to to hold on to the ball better and give us more opportunities to control matches. And certainly the last couple of games and this this run that we've been on, uh, this, these long and beaten runs, I think that that's a product of that, the way that we're more comfortable in possession and the way that we're looking to have more control in games.
3: And Tom, the thing that really impressed me with Cafu um, amongst the names that we've already mentioned is just that in pressurized situations, he seems to have that ability using his close close control to try and gain just half a yard of space so that he can pass the ball onto someone else, or he can take his own, you know, the man who's challenging him in the middle of the park, he can take them out out of the equation. Um, And that's something that we haven't seen in the middle of the park, Uh, probably I'm going to go and say the last player we had in the centre of midfield who could do that was Ben Osborne. Yeah, I mean, I've said
1: all season, I've said it on previous podcasts with yourselves, is that we're, when we have the ball, we're not quick enough with it, we, we just want to give it away. And with Cafu in there, Garner in there, and and Kravinovic, people who are comfortable on the ball, as Stephen's mentioned, it's made us harder to beat. We've um, took care of the ball, et cetera. And with this uh, run, it's just like... A, a lot more easier on the eye and not being as frustrating to watch because, um, like I says it just takes that uh, the onus off the um, the back four because in previous um, games, uh, well, before Christmas, it's, the ball was kept coming back and they were under intense uh, pressure. But somebody who's just taking care of the football and moving us a bit further up the field is making us um, a lot better outfit. And that's obviously been replicated in the recent results of this uh, run, what we've been on. So I'm very confident going into next season that... Um, he can see what he actually needs he 's had a really good uh, January transfer window, and hopefully we can take this um, decent form into next season and obviously be closer to the top six rather than the bottom six
3: yeah well let 's talk about uh, about that evolution um, What was really startling about friday night 's match um, is <laughs> having been so, having, having had such a bleak first half of the season and such a bleak I suppose, calendar year from about February, March onwards through to uh, all the way through 2020 and the first part of 2021. You know what? We could have gone to the top half of the table on Friday, albeit for what would it have been 20 hours or whatever. Um And, as did you see that coming like before the end of February?
4: Now, I think, um, as Tom mentioned, um, Hewton's had a very, very good transfer window. He's picked out. It's not like, um, like remember when Karanka had six in and six out overnight. Um, It's not like that sort of thing. He's he's basically picked out. These are the absolute bare minimum weak spots we need to get. Let's get the highest quality into those weak spots. And Kravinovic and Garner basically have sorted out that midfield that have. And as Tom says, it's taken the pressure off the rest of the team because we've got those two holes filled now, and that's why it's it's working. And he's, he's very astutely picked out the biggest holes in the side and fixed them and filled them in really, really quickly.
3: And and Stephen, I mean, we saw that, um, like we know that Hewton likes to play this 4-2-3-1 or occasionally a 4-4-1-1. And we know that the wingers are an important part of that, but it's painfully obvious um, from Houghton taking over until we signed Kravinovich that we were lacking somebody in the middle of the park, ideally in that advanced position who had the ability to grab hold of the ball and see things um, and to, to use the ball and to and to move it onwards. And, and that's something that Thiago Silva did last season. Um, also, we have to mention the C word. I mean, Carvalho could, probably could have had a place in the team playing as a number 10 under Hewton, even though I don't think he'd be his ideal type of player. Um, but... Uh, you know, that that is a gap that's been plugged, not only by having Kravinovic playing in the advanced midfield role, but by having a player like Garner um, sitting a bit deeper with the ability to spray it around and, and just have that composure in possession.
2: Yeah, definitely. And it's to, it, to come back to the point that Tom made, it just allows us to play that a little bit further up the pitch because we've got a player there who's comfortable in possession in that that slightly more advanced area and it just allows the team to move up and, and not worry about the ball being lost and the ball coming back to us straight away. We've it, it comes back to that word control. Forest have a bit more control of the football and control of the game as a result. Um, I don't want to turn it into Carvalho versus Silva or Kravinovic, but I think you're seeing with Kravinovic, he's got the technical ability and the quality on the ball but he also brings a work rate and an industry to the role that is actually quite crucial. And I think, I think Hewton values that from all of his attacking players as well, the, the willingness to come back and and do your graft and defending when required. I almost look at Knockhouse as a defensive winger in that sense, in that he's obviously very good going forward, but he's prepared to come back as well and and, and trap back and do some of the dirty work when required. So I think they're, they're qualities that Hutton that values in, in all of his players across the pitch.
3: Baz, just to come back to you uh, for a second. Um, after one of the recent matches, which one was it? It might have been uh, the Blackburn match, I think. Um, we were talking about how Kravinovic and Kravinovic in particular, but Ghana as well, how they're really good off the ball, their spatial awareness is, is positive and so on. Um, I think that's been a really important part because Kravinovic is better off the ball than Thiago Silva or Joao Carvalho. Um, the other thing that I want to just, uh, why I wanted to come back to you is uh, via our WhatsApp uh, chat on Friday. You were really impressed with Chris Hutton's tactics in terms of soak it up in the first half. We nicked that lead. And then we pressed Derby higher up the pitch in the second half. And we've seen that variation in tactic, which we also saw at Swansea, which, which didn't work out for obvious reasons. But it's interesting to see that Forest have now got an extra dimension to their play, which, again, has evolved.
4: Absolutely. It's one of those things where, yeah, we've got defensively, we've got two styles of play now. Uh, going forwards, probably, and I, think, I know we're going to talk about going forwards later later on as well, but going forwards, we've probably only still got one style of play. But defensively now, we can do that soaking up the pressure, which is exactly what we did in the first half. I can remember actually the commentator on Sky Sports said, now that Forrester are ahead... Let's hope they don't just sit back again and um, and make this complete ball fest. And we didn't. We actually played a very different way where we were pressing Derby right up on, on the pitch. And that's kind of what gave us the position to be able to keep that much extra possession in the second half. And why ultimately it was disappointing that we conceded because we had control of the second half because of that different
3: style of play. So... Uh... As you mentioned that, Tom, I'm going to come to you because we do need to score more. We do need to convert more. Um, do you think the solution to that will come from tactical changes or changes in personnel, maybe over the summer, or do you think that Hughton's probably okay with things and is just going to, you know, leave it to his strikers to 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 work out how to get more goals? Um, I think it's I, th- I think it's definitely
1: because it's. Glenn Murray, I'm going to have him get another year out of him but we can't rely on him for you know if we want to be in like the top six or top ten next season. I don't think Lyle Taylor's his number one and, and grabbing his future's up in the air because there was um reports in January that he might be going to the Middle East to play his um, football. So I think there'd need to be a personnel change of i.e. a couple of strikers. Um tactically it's not bad, but I've we're just Too many times this season we've sat on, and it happened last season as well, where we thought one goal is enough, and it's like by uh, bitches on the backside. And it was just frustrating because I didn't think Derby didn't really pepper our goal to a certain extent on... Friday and you think oh come on first you need a second goal here and then obviously mm-hmm. they got a bit fortuitous um, with a lucky bounce off the arm of Carson Richards and you just hit one in which was a worldie really nine times out of ten that would go in top tier of the stand but uh, now I think we need to uh, start um, changing things tactically so we can get like a second goal or a third goal to make the game safe and then a personnel change but I don't think Chris Sheaton will be um, happy with it because he mentioned it um, Post match on Friday, that we need to get a second goal because obviously it's frustrating having been, I would say, shaded as the better side
3: on Friday. But, Baz, we've, I mean, you've heard uh, that I've talked with uh, our friend Rick Loosemore, who's a Brighton fan who lives in Newcastle, so he knows a fair bit about Chris Houghton, um, he knows a fair bit about <laughs> Anthony Knockhart and Guy Ten Bong and Glenn Murray as well, and he's said that, you know, it is. The Houton style is relatively conservative and it is a case of as again, as we've discussed before, let's get this solid foundations and then to a certain extent we can leave the forward players to do what they do. Do you think he'll stick with that with Forrest or do you think he'll need to do something to change it up? I
4: think um, he brought in Glen Murray. Glenn Murray is obviously a stopgap, but he needed he needed to do something because Lyle Taylor hasn't cut it yet at this level. And Lewis Graven, there is obviously something going on in the background with, with Lewis Graben that we're, we're not party to. Um, I think the biggest problem we have going forwards is a lack of pace. And apart from Maiten, we don't really have any, any pace going forwards. Um, there was a point in the derby game in the first half when we were still sitting really deep. And I was like, it would have been really interesting to start with Maiten up front. Because if we're going to sit deep, then... And hit on the brake which is effectively what we were doing then that could have been quite an interesting thing to do but apart from might and he's the only pace that we have going forwards um Murray even Graben's not actually that fast and and if he's got his hip injury or whatever's going on with him then that's going to make it worse knock up and lolly maybe a little bit but even then they're not they're not outstanding sprinters so that kind of gives us a problem in that went but i think Hewton will be satisfied. I think he, he does say we need the second goal, and we do need the second goal. But obviously, we're not in a position to make any changes now that the transfer window is gone. I think he's going to be, overall, he's going to be pretty satisfied. That it's going to be a, He's always been a slow and steady kind of manager, and he's put the first bricks in place to, to get us to where he wants to go. And then it's what he does in the summer that's going to make the difference.
3: Mm. And Stephen, I mean, uh, Basil's raised an interesting point because uh, Grabben and Maiton are probably the only two players at the club who have the ability to run in and behind a defence. Which, bearing in mind, we talked about the ability of of Kravinovic in particular to to play the ball through the lines. Um, no, at the moment, Maiton, Hughton is understandably being cautious with Maiton about how much he puts him in the team and in the squad. Uh, Glen Murray doesn't has never had the pace to do that. Grabben does have that burst of acceleration or has had that burst of acceleration but is obviously not playing at the moment Um, and so in the short term is there a particular solution is it that we actually look to keep doing what we're doing or is there something else that the manager will need to think about in terms of creating opportunities and just before I come to you actually an example Anthony Knockhart against Blackburn against Rotherham it was a case of set up Knockhart to come in from the right hand side, and he had one off the one off the bar and one off the line. So, is is that kind of thing what Houghton will be looking for?
2: Yeah, I think it's a case of making the best of what he's got still. And Knockhart in the last four or five games has really stepped up and and, and shown the kind of form that we would have expected from Anthony Knockhart, the sort of Leicester and Fulham and Brighton form of, of years gone by, and. He has become, in those few games, the real kind of attacking threat for us. And he's not, obviously, he's not the the quickest himself, but I think it does set up the team to, um, if you look at Freeman, for example, playing on the left-hand side, wide left, having that left footer there, I think it kind of brings a bit of balance and it almost shifts the team across a little bit to give Knockout more space in which to play. And I think he, he has thrived off that. Um with the Maiten uh, conundrum, I think it wouldn't surprise me if we try and get a few more points on the board and make ourselves absolutely safe. And then that would be a good opportunity to, to give Maiten more game time because the pressure will be off. We're not going to be playing for promotion, nor are we going to be fighting relegation. So that might be a good opportunity to give Maiten more minutes in his legs and more first-team experience.
3: Okay, right, we're going to take a break, um, and on the subject of scoring goals, here's Jeremy. At the 1865 Forest Ramble, we are pleased to work in partnership with Flatback 4. They offer Forest-inspired t-shirts, polo shirts, hoodies and jumpers. Just visit Flatback. Choose something from the Nottingham Forest Embroidered Club range and then enter the code 1865 to receive 10% off and support our podcast at the same time. For whatever item you buy, if you include the code 1865 at the checkout, you will be supporting our podcast.
2: Can I find the details on social media? Absolutely.
3: Follow 1865 Forest Rumble on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram
0: for all the details. The 1865 Forest Rumble Sketch by Jeremy Davis. The signing of Glenn Murray brought some much-needed depth to the Forest Strike Force, and he's made a great first impression. Many of us on this pod grew up watching that nice young man Nigel Clough quietly knocking in the goals on his unassuming way to becoming the club's highest post-war goalscorer. And it's safe to say that neither Murray nor his fellow forwards is going to get close to his total, let alone the all-time Forest record, which was set way back before the pandemic. Before the pandemic of 1918, that is. As new KFC mascot Gary Lineker often complains, Sky would have you believe that football didn't begin until 1992. So the very thought of football in the early 1900s is probably enough to make Martin Tyler go for a lie down in a darkened room. Those top 100 footballers of all time lists never feature anyone from before World War II because obviously, if it's not on YouTube, they can't have been any good, right? I don't know much about football at the time of the First World War except that they played matches on Christmas Day and the balls were heavy enough that they could have flattened entire settlements if fired out of a cannon, which makes the record of Forrest's all-time leading goalscorer an even weightier achievement. Welsh international Arthur Grenville-Morris scored 217 goals in 421 appearances in all competitions, or at least in the league of the FA Cup, which was all competitions in his day, playing for the club from 1898 to 1913. With a moustache so luxuriant he could have played for Liverpool in the 80s, he joined Forrest from Swindon Town, arriving just in time for the first season at the city ground. His exploits over the next 15 years reflected his nickname, the Prince of the Inside Lefts, although being compared to a British prince isn't the compliment it once was. It's unclear whether Morris talked to plants, flew helicopters, or had ever been anywhere near Pizza Express in Woking. The nearest he got to a trophy with Forrest was an FA Cup semi-final defeat to Bury, but like another FA Cup so near yet so far man, Stuart Pearce, he stayed with the club after relegation to the second tier, in Morris's case in the year 1906, to lead them straight back up, albeit that by the time he left, Forrest were back in Division 2. His contemporary Billy Meredith described him as a great player, a brilliant schemer, a tricky dribbler with a fine shot, which makes him sound like a cross between Nigel Clough, Brian Roy, Anthony Knockhart and James Garner. As well as scoring a record number of goals, he also played in Forrest's record win, 12-0 against Leicester Foss in 1909, when he scored between two and six goals, depending on which report you read. I just hope nobody had them in their Fantasy League teams that week, because it would have caused no end of stress. It seems safe to say that Glenn Murray, Sammy Amiobi and Lois Craven won't be taking either of those records away from him, even if they play until the next pandemic, although at the rate the world is going, that might not be very long.
3: Welcome to part two of the 1865 Forest Ramble. So we've talked about matches and we've talked about tactics. Let's talk about transfers because we did do a transfer window roundup at the start of February. And as we've discussed earlier, it has been a good transfer window, especially when you compare it, Tom, to the absolute chaos of Forest Transfer Business um, in very contrasting ways last summer and last January?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was just a matter of... It was because we missed out. It was like, oh, let's get the best players who got like Fulham promoted with uh, Arthur and Christie and then uh, a few others. And I think we just went totally overboard. And then we had a, a squad which was absolutely um, unsustainable in terms of numbers and, and everything. So, no, it bit uh, been a lot better this um January just gone, where it's been a matter of quality over quantity, and then obviously mentioned earlier in the pod that um, Chris Euton's basically identified the uh, the massive holes, what was uh, needed to be filled um, for the latter part of this season. So um, yeah, it's it's been refreshing that it's not a matter of like let's sign a load of players. He's actually got a few players in, and it's actually um, been beneficial for us to move away from the bottom three.
3: And, Baz, uh, I mean, that that phrase, sort of uh, quality over quantity, I mean, it's insane, isn't it? I was talking about this with Second Tier Podcast um, a couple of weeks ago, that are probably the only club in the that I can think of who would bring in 12 players and make their squad significantly worse.
4: It's, it is kind of crazy. And what's really upsetting about it, more than anything, is it's always been in midfield. It's always, it's what we've just said before, it's like Garner, Kravinovic... Um, and Kafu, that that midfield three. Yet all the so many of the players we've <coughs> been buying in have been midfielders, and it's like it's it's not finding the right ones and choosing the wrong ones, and and it's. I mean, we talked about it before. That it is, is what is the the actual policy and what's what's the strategy under underlying it. I think Chris Hughes basically said ex, exactly that. There, there's these are the holes. Let's fill them, and then we'll worry about the, the other stuff later
3: on. Mm. And uh, welcome to Baz's dog, who's just made a guest appearance, crashing around in the background there. Um, so, Stephen, let's um, think about. It does seem apparent that there has been a. I was, I was, I was going to say a change in policy. I think there's been an introduction of a policy. Whereas before, it was let's just go out and sign some players. Um, now, does this suggest to you what we've discussed in the past? Does it suggest that actually the manager and Gary Brazil are now in charge of deciding who to sign.
2: On the surface, it it does look that way. If you look at the signings that came in in January, they were in positions which needed to be improved. And we went out and identified the right kind of players to fill those positions. I mean, if you look at the way the midfielders has come on in the last few games, the signings of Ghana, and Kravinovic in particular, they almost master strokes the way that it's transformed the team. And Glenn Murray as well, to, to bring him in with his experience. And he scored a few goals already and worked alongside huton It's just sensible signings that have actually made Forrest better. And I think it's been quite a while since we've been able to talk about new signings with, with that kind of praise. And I hope that this is... The success of this window, if it hasn't already, it will give the the owners and the, the people running the football club the the confidence in Hughton and Brazil identifying the right kind of players to take us on and, and improve the not only the first team, the first eleven, but the squad as a whole. Because it could be a very interesting summer for us, but it could also be a very exciting one if we allow Hughton to bring the the players in that he wants to.
3: Hewton and exciting are not phrases that go in the same sentence very often, but Tom, <laughs> I mean, there, there is there is a, a kernel of truth in there because um, Karanka was appointed with a clear brief to get Forrest up in a way that the club didn't have confidence in Mark Warburton to do so. And it was that pressure that seemed to lead to Karanka's uh, departure after less than 12 months at the club. Then O'Neill, he wasn't doing it as far as the club were concerned, so they got rid. Sabri was only on a one-year contract, and when they did reward him with the contract, they lost faith in him. Chris Houghton is not a manager you appoint thinking, all right, and if all goes wrong, we'll give him the boot. He's a, he's a manager that you appoint thinking, okay, let's give him two, three years minimum to see what he can do, isn't he?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's been a slightly blessing in um, disguise, you know, with um, what's happened in the last... Um, year in terms of, um, you know, like the missing out on promotion and then obviously signing all these players. I think the club's hierarchy have actually took a step back thinking, because of no disrespect to them, but they come from Arcos where Arcos basically dominate Greek football and we thought they were going to like walk to the championship and think this is going to be a walk in the park over like a two or three year period of getting us uh, promoted. But I think because, um, of how we've performed this season. I think they've took a step back and thinking, look, we need to change the tactics here and um, and obviously yeah, change our uh, transfer policy. And I think with Chris Hewton in place, uh, like you've mentioned, he's not one who will, it's the short term, it's, it seems to be like over a couple of seasons where hopefully he will identify what we need and hopefully uh, do what he did at Brighton in terms of um, like stabilising us Getting us into a like position of uh, where we can compete with the like the top ten, and then obviously going from there. So, um, like Stephen says, it could be an exciting uh, summer if uh, he's allowed to operate how he wants to
3: uh, going forward. Mm. And uh, just very quickly, um, as we mentioned when we were speaking to our friend Rick, the Brighton fan, um, when Chris Hughes took over at Brighton, I think in November of that year, when Sammy Huppier was uh, was sacked. Uh, Brighton were 21st in the table and they finished 20th but then they went on to get to the playoff final the following year so uh, fingers crossed there's, um, there's actually signs of, of better progress uh, at the moment. Um, Baz I will just temper that uh, with how Forest hierarchy learned and it was reported in The Athletic uh, about a week ago um, or maybe just a couple of weeks ago that uh, Yanis Rentsos uh, has appointed his father-in-law to take on an unpaid role as facilities manager, whatever that is. And Kyriakos Durakis, the director of football, has been joined by his son in the football analysis department, again, on a voluntary and unpaid role. So <laughs> draw your own conclusions.
4: One thing I will say about that is, yeah, we're, we're saying maybe the club's had a change of heart, change of strategy, and then yeah, the, this stuff that you're talking about comes up. I think one of the things we have to remember is uh, Chris Hewton has spent years dealing with Mike Ashley. So maybe he's very good at getting the stuff that he wants out of um, crazy owners. um, But maybe he can't affect a wider change across the entire organisation.
3: Okay, (laughs) Um, let's talk about uh, the players that uh, are at the club then. Um, We've already talked about the new signing, Stephen, but... Interesting to see how he's making use of the other players who were brought in by the previous regime. And here I'm thinking, particularly Cyrus Christie, we've seen an improvement in his form and his fitness going forward. There's still a couple of question marks about his ability to defend and cut out crosses, but that's another story. And then the other one that I'll mention is uh, an interesting tactic that we've seen in the last couple of weeks, where he's bringing on Tyler Blackett, who's a left-sided centre-half, putting him on the left wing to add some support to Forrest's defence. Is that sensible management or is it a sign of he's having to keep players happy?
2: I think it's good management. I think he's he's identifying areas uh, and qualities among players that he has. And somebody like Tyler Blackett has actually been quite effective at coming on and helping to shut out a game. So, and the bonus being he's left-footed so he can he can do a job out on that left-hand side. Whether that's going to be something that continues in the long term, I'm not so sure. Because if Blackett's not going to be playing regularly, I don't see him hanging around. I think he would be moved on. Um, it's also good to see, you mentioned there, the Cyrus Christie, his form has really picked up. And we're seeing the Cyrus Christie that was at Fulham. Fuller- and playing his part in a promotion winning team and we're seeing the the level of performance that he's capable of and also I think it's it's fair to add one more player in there as well for a slightly different reason because he's playing in his normal position but Toby figueredo has in the last seven or eight games has just stepped up and he's back to the figueredo that we all know and we know is, is his best and that's that's really, really great to see. I know I mentioned in a previous podcast it might be better taking him out of the firing line because he was making mistakes that was le- that led to goals. And um, but he's come back and he's just been so solid and and so commanding alongside Joe Worrell. and he's played a big part in in our resurgence. And the goal on Friday night, yes, you can say he, he might have done a better job clearing it, but I don't think you can you know i don't think you can jump on him too much for that because his form has been so much better in in recent weeks
3: yeah and um as the maradon the midlands and i discussed in our match report on friday um could he have put his foot through it more yeah Possibly, but at the same time, it was a real odd combination of circumstances because it ended up hitting Kazim Richards on the chest and then the arm, and then for him to hit that shot from 20 yards. Generally, if you're going to make a mistake like that, it's not like the mistakes that Toby was making earlier in the season, is it, Stephen? Is It's a very different type of thing, and one where you don't point the finger at the player too much because it's just one of those things that can happen.
2: Yeah, it, it's not like he lost his man in the six-yard box or allowed somebody to run through on marks and give away a guilt edge opportunity. That one was a bit unlucky because you still had to rely on one, Kazim Richards controlling the ball and getting it into a position where he could shoot and two, executing the shots from 20 yards as he did to, to beat the keeper. So there were a number of factors in that goal that. uh, yeah you could you could you can lay off Toby a little bit with that one it was there was, there was a lot going on there that he uh, he didn't have control of so um yeah I think just point with Toby is credits to huge and he, he he's really <clears throat> untapped that 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 form that w- we always hoped was there and it looks like it's coming back now so and it looks like the defense is settled with Worrell and Figueroa, Christie back to some good form as well and Roberto playing the way that we know he can do on the left-hand side, solid and dependable.
3: So, Tom, Houston uh, did say in an interview that, you know, he said that Figueredo he knows that he's had some, had some problems in terms of he's made high-profile mistakes that have cost us um, at times. But he's also said that he's been happy with his form on the whole. And for us as fans, just like Stephen, I was also saying, you know what, maybe we need to take Toby out the firing line, um, just give him a bit of a break. And the only time that Hewton has done that was for a couple of matches when um, Toby was suspended. So it's quite frustrating, isn't it, as a fan, because all we want is the results to come. But Hewton very much more pro- focused upon the long term process. And he knows that you're not going to win every match, it seems.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, going back to uh, Figueroa, it's I think it's one of those where if you keep him out, take him out the firing line for a bit it's been a matter of like will he actually get it out of his um, system Um, etc so and then if he's on the sidelines it's going to be a matter of he's going to be going over it over and over again when he's needed is he still going to be thinking of those mistakes so if he just concentrates on his game stick to the basics Um, it's been a matter of um, obviously him building on that and improving game by game and we've seen the resurgence um, in him but, um, yeah, going back um, to um, Chris Euton, I think it's a matter of, like, he, he's kept faith in a lot of players if, got, um, if they've had, a, like, a bad game. Because I think he just wants that, um, i.e. Like, the back four's been, um, been massive in our resurgence. I think it's just wanted to keep that so people, like, how can I put it, understanding and getting used to um, partnerships and things like that. And I think that's been massive in the last um, month or so keeping a settled
3: side. Yeah, and the exception to that one, Baz, that I'd maybe talk about is, and you alluded to earlier, uh, Lewis Graben. And it seems as though having signed Glenn Murray, um, that's the first step towards Chris Houghton having the ability to kind of take Graben out the firing line. Because I've been very critical of Graben this season. And now we've got that option whereby... Maybe we don't have to pay an unfit grabber or a grabber whose head isn't in the game.
4: Yeah, it's, it's a weird... From the outside, it's hard to know what's going on there. Um, I definitely think, as, as Tom was saying, about building partnerships across the side. Uh, we've already spoken about Garner and Cafu together. We talked about Worrell and Figueroa together. Uh, Christian and Knockhart, but Knockhart and Murray is one that he's obviously chosen to build on. And that's a big part of where things are, are going right for us at the moment and um so yeah maybe there's there's a part of it is is thinking there is actually yeah i need to do something quickly
3: and i've got a proven combination here so i'm going to stick with that so was it symbolically important for you Baz, that at the end of the wickham match we saw Tan bong anthony knockout and Glenn murray giving each other big bear hugs <laughs> absolutely
4: <laughs> I, 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 yeah i don't think there's that's a, um what's the word There's a sort of coincidence that that kind of happened
3: Yeah, Um, okay, so let's uh, leave that for the time being because now it's time for everyone's favourite 1865 game Guess That Red.
0: 1865, Guess
3: That Red. So, welcome to our second edition of Guess That Red. It's a game in which our panel have to guess who that red is. And same rules as last time, lads. So, uh, I'm going to read out five clues. It's referring to a forest player. Not one who's still at the club. That's the only clue I can give you beforehand. And when you think you know who it is, just shout your name out and I will come to you to make your guess. This player made 178 appearances for Forest across two spells at the club. I have a sea of blank faces staring Uh, back at me. Go on, Baz. Neil Webb. Is incorrect. Clue number two. He served under six different managers at the city ground. Let's move on. Clue number three. This one might give it away a little bit more. He captained the team on many occasions, but was never made club skipper, even when the position was available. Tom. Tom. Is it Steve Hodge? It is not Steve Hodge. Stephen. Stephen. Is it Andy Reid? It is not Andy Reid. So let's move on to clue number four. Clue number four. After leaving Forest, this player went on to make appearances for Norwich, West Brom. Tom. Tom. Uh, it's.
1: No, I was going to say Andy Johnson, but he obviously
3: has only had one spell at the club. So Norwich, <laughs> West Brom, Bournemouth, Rotherham, Cardiff, Birmingham, and Coventry but he has never added to his nine international caps. I'm
1: going to have another go. Go on, Tom.
3: Is it Lee Camp? It is Lee Camp! <laughs> and who is nine international caps for? Uh, Northern Ireland. Yep, Lee O'Camp. Camp. Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah, it was. Um, and... It was Lee Camp. So, yeah, um, I thought the one about captaining the team would would give it away, actually, because obviously he was the stand in skipper under Billy Davis. But then Steve McLaren gave the club captaincy to Luke Chambers instead. Um, can you believe he served under six different managers at the city ground? So Colin Calderwood, Billy Davis. Then, of course, after Billy Davis, there's McLaren then Cottrell then O'Driscoll. And then it was McLeish who let him go. And uh, yeah, 178 appearances And the two spells across the club might have been a bit cheeky on my part because the first one was, of course, his loan spell under Colin Calderwood. Then he went back and then signed again the following summer. The final clue would definitely have given it away, which was his most famous Forest moment came against his hometown club, where he saved a late penalty in a controversial one-all draw. (laughs) Can you
1: remember? um, I think it was when was the Goldislad, then uh, Paul Anderson ran with the ball. But then yeah. he just ran out of legs and did he fall over or something like that? But obviously the uh, the referee blew up anyway, but it was... Yeah, I think we all fell over at that point, Tom.
2: <laughs> just... okay. I love the, uh, the Colin Frey commentary on that because he kind of keeps going up an octave because he's expecting <laughs> the next moment to be the most dramatic and then something else happens,
3: something else happened. By the end, it's like, Anderson is breaking! And it's just... So is his voice. <laughs> um yeah, I, I I still for this to this day, I don't think anyone has any idea why that headed goal at the end by Derby was disallowed from which Forrest made that brick. It, it was just insane, wasn't it? And of course the referee was Stuart Atwell, who was um Baz and I, our very first match as podcasters was Forrest against Reading um in uh, Forrest's first match back in the championship and I remember both of us going that's Stuart Atwell it was his first match as a referee wasn't he amazing and I've never seen him ref well <laughs> since <laughs> no,
4: yeah, actually, I, I was wondering where you were going with that because I don't remember that but yeah I do remember saying that and going oh god
3: <laughs> <laughs> anyway right okay just briefly uh, to finish up lads um so um we are now in 16th position. Uh, last night we were 14th, which I think was our highest position, but that was for all of, of 20 hours. Um, I say saying we could have gone top half if we'd won the match, albeit briefly. What are your hopes for the rest of the season, Stephen? Where do you think Forrest can finish?
2: I think the top half is definitely on now, and certainly getting ourselves into a position where we're not worrying about the bottom three or, or any relegation fears. So we're on 40 points already with another 13 games to play. So I would imagine we we should be able to get to that 50 point mark reasonably soon. And then after that, it's just a case of just seeing how high we can finish. And I, I think top half is is potentially on. The main priority for us is just stay in this division still and
1: and look to next
2: season.
3: So, what do you think then, Tom? Um,
1: and as what Stephen says, I think we're just got to keep improving. If we're getting to the top 10, then looking back, it's been, a, I think it's a fantastic achievement where we was, um, say, eight weeks ago because um, I mentioned on the pod that um, the way Fires were playing before Christmas, uh, it looked like we were sleepwalking into uh, League One, but thankfully we've uh, turned the corner and we're, we're obviously um, moving up the table. Um, so, yeah, we'll just need to improve, uh, keep improving and um,
3: going to next season um, with the same form. Baz, uh, again, because we've been talking football to each other for, for years and years and years, I always say there's no point looking at the league table um, until the beginning of December at least. And this year, I've been saying that until, well, now, um, because I think this year... The points on the board are significantly more important than the actual position in the table because the table is so, well, it's such a mental season, isn't it?
4: Yeah, and it's kind of interesting. So um, like it looks like there's a chance that things might be a little bit more normal next season um, with at least some fans being back in the ground and with the, the spread of matches being a little bit more back to normal, maybe back to normal substitutes as well. There's a, a good chance of that, I'd have thought. So I think if we can, if we can finish top half, then that will give us such a boost of momentum into next season. I think that's going to carry through really, really well, and that's going to be an absolutely fantastic um, achievement for Chris Hutton to have to have made to, to
3: have got to. And just very, very briefly to finish off, Stephen, um, you sounded very optimistic. Now we've got. What are, on the face of it, two more six-pointers against Luton and QPR, um, teams who are very, very close to us in the table. But those sandwich a run of games that are horrendous and that almost saw us drop into the bottom three and drop into real trouble. So we've got Watford, Reading, Norwich, Brentford and Cardiff. Um, Does that give you any nerves at all?
2: It does, given the, the run that we had against those teams earlier in the season, but I'm more confident going into the run this time around because of the form that, that that we're bringing into these games and also I think the team just looks more confident in the way they play and it was really evident at Derby players looked more confident on the ball they looked more confident as a as a whole team and I think that get that would be a real positive going into the this run of games against those top six sides I mean we had a, a good performance against Bournemouth a few weeks ago, and, and we couldn't quite get the the win there. But I think we competed, and we showed that we have got a lot to offer against these these top six teams. So I'm more confident going into those games. I don't think we're going to win all of them, and we probably might lose one or two. But I, I think there's definitely definitely reasons to to be more confident going into that run.
3: So I was
1: just going to add on to that. Um, we had a decent, even though we lost, we had a decent. Performance against Swansea a few weeks ago. And um, looking into that game, a lot of Forest fans were like, we're going to get absolutely annihilated. I'd say for the uh, majority of the match, we uh, outplayed them and we uh, really ran them into the ground. And then the following game, what they played, I think we had a massive say in that result because they lost 4-1 to um, Huddersfield. And so, like Stephen's just said, I think we're more confident going playing against the top six sides now than we was about two months ago. Swansea
4: Swansea and Bournemouth give me a lot of optimism for the rest of this season.
3: Fab. Well, it's nice to end on an optimistic note for the first time in about... 10, 11 months. Um, so I say thank you to Tom Newton, to Stephen Topless and to Baz. Thank you also to Jeremy um, for the sketch. And thank you listener. As always, um, if you could do us a favor, please, especially if you're an Apple podcast listener, leave us a positive review, put a nice comment there. And it helps other people to find our content. You can also find us on social media. So look for 1865 Forest Ramble on Instagram and Facebook or at Nottum underscore forest on Twitter, and we look forward to meeting you there. Until then, take care.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.